Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 73, week 73, volume 73, number fucking 73. Hey, going, guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Brian from Death Before Dishonor, and that will be coming up later in the show. So this past week, we got a rating and a review through Facebook, and it came courtesy of Adam Watson. He gave us a 5 out of 5, and he said, Awesome pod, keeping us up to date with the metal and hardcore bands in a seemingly dying music industry. Love hearing the chats with various band members and hearing their stories and funny responses to the Pick Your Poison quiz. Keep them coming, mate. Keep up the good work and open the pit. Adam, you're a dead set fucking legend. Much love, much respect, much appreciated, dude. Thank you for the five out of five. And thank you for the kind words and the epic feedback. Means a lot that you enjoy what we're doing. Also, thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for getting into us. Thank you for discovering us. And thank you for continually tuning in each week. Means a lot, man. Loyal listeners like yourself, Adam, don't go unnoticed and are very, very valuable to the Mosh Zone. So thank you again, dude. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Guys, if you're listening and you haven't done a rating and a review through Facebook yet, what are you waiting for? Get on there. You can find us at www.facebook.com slash the Mosh Zone or simply just type in the Mosh Zone in the search thing. As soon as the Facebook page pops up, you'll see a rating and review. Give us a 5 out of 5, give us a 1 out of 5, and give us a review. All the feedback is invaluable to letting us know how we're going and what you might like or dislike. Also, guys, if you're listening through iTunes podcasts, don't forget, give us a rating and a review there. Also, don't forget to subscribe or follow however you listen to this podcast, whether it's Spotify, CastBox, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Podbean, tune in however you listen. Please give us a subscribe. Please download the podcast. Please follow the podcast. Help us grow this show. Also, without forgetting to also say, guys, help us spread the word about the Mosh Zone. I can only get this show out to so many people. So if you enjoyed an episode, share it on your social medias. If you enjoyed an episode, tell your friend about the Mosh Zone. Just help us grow. It's invaluable. Your help, we notice, and it's so, so amazing to see how much we have been growing lately. And that's not possible without your help. So everyone that is helping, keep it up. Thank you, and we love you. Enough of my jibber-jabber at the start of the show. Let's get into the part of the show that you're all tuned in for. That is our Mosh interview. This week, I got to sit down with Brian from Death Before Dishonor. Thank you so fucking much, Brian, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated, dude. Death Before Dishonor are one of those bands that I have passionately followed since I got into hardcore. And they've come back after about a 10-year hiatus with a new album on the horizon, so... I thought, perfect timing, let's get Brian on the show, let's delve into his background, delve into all the stuff about the band and the future. 
Really exciting chat and a big moment for me as a diehard fan and a big moment for the show. That chat with Brian is coming up now. I always kind of start off with um, not necessarily a heavy band or a heavy artist, but do you remember a musician or a band that kind of helped you discover music? Was there someone when you were young that you heard and you were like, ooh, I love this, and you became really into it music-wise? I mean, I think, like, when I was really young, like, you know, really young, I mean, besides, like, classic rock, like, Bruce Springsteen and stuff I heard, I mean, then I started getting into, like, hip-hop a bit, you know, like, early teenager, and then I heard Slayer was, like, the first, if you want to talk about, like, heavy band, Slayer was the band that probably I was like, oh, man, this is crazy, like, for, like, a metal band, and then transitioning from there that got me into like I, I don't know I just watched like Headbangers Ball or something way way back in the day and then I'd seen like a Suicidal and like a Biohazard video so that transitioned me into like Biohazard and then I, I remember buying the Agnostic Front one voice record and that was like a wrap from there. So what about what about Slayer drew you in and then you know the second half of that question is what about bands like Agnostic Front really made you get into it? Was it the the energy? Was it the sense of you know you belong to something? I think with so let me when I heard Slayer it was just heavy and like me right and I think like you know coming out of hip hop I started like skateboarding and stuff like that like I, don't, I was just young so when you're young you're just like impressionable things so it was like. I thought Slayer was really cool. Um, just super heavy. There was no like severe influence or anything like that. Like I never saw them live or anything. I just heard them. Um, I went. I remember. I remember getting the Gnostic Front record first. I'll just say that. And then that band, I just remember like. I forget how I got into them. You know what? There were a couple kids from around my way that were into like somewhat hardcore. Uh, you know, like the Biohazard and stuff like that. And. Uh, they started leading me onto things. And, and when I saw the Ignacio Front One voice record, I was like, man, this big band looks sick. And I put it in, and it was awesome, musically. The first show I went to was Biohazard. My friends had brought me, and I had seen Biohazard on Headbangers Ball. So to me, I thought they were like a massive band. Like, you know what I mean? Mm. And they played like a smaller club in Boston, and those dudes were just like hanging out in the crowd. And to me... And the way the people were like moshing to the band and stuff like that, it was totally different than anything that I had seen on TV as far as like metal bands and stuff. So to me, that was like, I was like, oh, all right. So this this is different than metal. And you could tell there was a sense of like community there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that would have been as soon as you go to a show, you know, even, you know, in the late 2000s and earlier, obviously, the sense of community is obvious, but is that, part of what helped you stick with it was that you could see that, hey, all walks of life come to this and get the same thing out of this that I do? Absolutely, yeah. That's definitely was a huge thing. And the fact that, like, you know, like, I was pointing out the, that Biohazard show because they were just, like, hanging out in, like, the open events, which are, like, local Boston hardcore events that I didn't really know at the time. Aside from the sense of community, it just felt real. Like, these guys weren't, like, rock stars. And the people at the show... You know, as much as the show was like crazy, it was wild. It wasn't, you know, you could tell people knew each other and people got along, and like you could tell there was something more to it than just a concert. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, and no egos. I think that's something about hardcore is it's never been a sense Absolutely, of egos. Yeah. Exactly. And you could see that, you know, like I said, by the bands and even the way, like, you could tell, like, older dudes that, like, you know, I don't know, you could just get perception, like, let's say the quote-unquote cool guys, but they were talking to everybody. You know, like, I don't know, dude. It, it just, between from the bands to the crowd, they're, you know, from my initial response is I was like, all right, man, this is like, all right, there's all different types of people here. Everybody seems to be getting along, but it's crazy, like chaotic, moshing, stage diving, no fights. And I was like, all right, so there's something about this. And it really just drew me in. And then, I mean, from there on, it was just crazy. Like I got into every aspect, you know, bought every demo I could, try to find about, you know, any show I could. It, it just led me down a rabbit hole. So that was was that show in the mid to late nineties, or was that like when was that show? That show was ninety three or ninety four. I'm pretty sure it was ninety four. You know, that's like I, my first hardcore show was like ninety four. So, what was the local Boston scene like for hardcore at that time? Was it kind of thriving a bit? Because there is a lot of throwback bands that people reference nowadays that were from Boston. So, was it a thriving scene? Yeah, to me it was. I mean, I was also, like, learning as I went, you know? So it's like, you know, you know, there's no internet. Um, you know, so that 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 show was Biohazard, this band called Stompbox that, you know, was somewhat of a hardcore band. And uh, they played, they opened up, they blew me away, and they killed it, you know what I mean? But then from there on, like, you know, I would find, like, local magazines. Um, there was this uh, thing called The Pit Report, and then there was another magazine called The Phoenix. The Phoenix was like a free, like alternative magazine and it would list, it would have club listings in there. And, you know, between that and me buying tapes and stuff like that. So yeah, every show I went to, to me seems pretty crazy. Yeah. I went to a couple that were just like, you know, smaller, um, not insane, but a lot of the shows that I went to were great. Now I didn't, I don't know if I went to every show, you know what I mean? I was like, trying to find out about every show, but I don't think I was in the know. I wasn't in a band yet or anything like that. So to me, I was like, yeah, every show was packed. Um, there was definitely a lot of, you know, at that time, Blood for Blood. Uh, I don't even know. I don't even think the Victory record was out. I think just the Hurt You demo, maybe. Mm. Um, there's a band called Reason Enough, and that singer went on to do um, Reach the Sky, his old band. Um, I remember seeing them a lot. They would always play this club called The Rat. Um 454 big block at the time yeah there was there was quite a bit going on slap shot at the time um but you know there, there was other these other bands too like that band stompbox i just mentioned this band tree sand black church that weren't like you know as i grow older you see that they weren't like they were more like the alternative hardcore where they got you know they were quote-unquote hardcore played a hardcore band but they also played like outdoor free festivals and stuff like that and got kind of like an alternative crowd. And those bands would play a lot too. Um, it was an interesting time. Like, you know, I, I was learning. So there was a lot to go see though. So what was it like for you in at home? Was music a thing that was in the household? And when you started getting into this kind of hardcore, you know, I hate the word up, you know, saying it's different, but, you know, different music. Were were the family kind of accepting of it or were they a bit like, oh, what's happening to him? What, what's going on with this music? 
Uh, that, you know what, man? At that point in my life, like, I started, uh, music wasn't a big thing in my house. My mother is actually deaf, and my father is oh. hard of hearing. So music wasn't even, like, a prominent thing, believe it or not. Um, I think that, but I started to rebel. Like, I did a lot for my parents. So around my, like, teenage years, I started, like, skipping school a lot. And, you know, I got kicked out of my house. I ran away. I did this. I did that. I was just kind of like a punk kid. Um, so I don't think they really knew what I was doing. But because of that, I started going a lot of shows and stuff like that and, and you know, built a whole different group of friends. And, and it definitely, like, it took me from, like, being in, you know, because I, I wasn't born in, like, Boston proper. I was born about 15 minutes away in, like, a little smaller city. Um and I think if I just stayed there and didn't go to shows, I think I just would have been a complete fuck up. You know what I mean? I never graduated high school or anything like that. But hardcore music and going to shows definitely kept, was like a positive thing. You know what I mean? Instead of like, because I was, before I started doing that, you know, I was skateboarding and stuff, no knock on skateboarding, but like all the townie kids were like partying, doing drugs. And, and I'm not like straight edge or anything like that, but I think. I look back at my town and a lot of kids that like I played football with when I was younger and stuff like that, they're supposed to be like the good kids in town all got hooked on drugs and a lot of them died. You know what I mean? Or just a fuck up. So I don't know if I can swear on this, but yeah, you can, yeah, you can say fuck as many times as you like. But but yeah, so it definitely, it was like an escape, you know what I mean? And I don't, you know, like music wasn't like a thing in the home. I don't know. I was just always like fascinated by like, certain things, you know, and, and, and like I said, one of the things that I remember was like that Headbangers Ball thing, and I saw a clip of like a Suicidal Tendencies video, as well as that Biohazard, things of Punishment video, whichever one, they're going over a bridge, and people like jumping on top of each other, and I'm like, man, what's this? You know what I mean? Like, this looks crazy. Well, it sounds like, I mean, not only did you get into the, the vibe in the community, but in a way, you know, it saved you, and it gave you a home when possibly without one the way your life was going, you could have ended up like all those deadbeats that, you know, passed away or, you know, ended up getting into further trouble. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, with hardcore, I mean, I, I also got into trouble too, but yeah, it was a different type of trouble. And I didn't notice it then. It wasn't like, oh, I got to get out of here or anything like that. It was just something different. You know what I mean? I just got sick of like being around the same people. And, and it wasn't even like I was looking for something. Like I went to that show and I was like, man, this is crazy. And it just sucked me in. But I definitely feel like, I mean, I, I think I'm a pretty driven person. So maybe that wouldn't be the case. But I definitely think like it, it did give me a home. It gave me, you know, I saw that like by going to these shows, I started meeting people that had bands. And I was like, oh man, I could start a band, you know? If I never did that, and if I wasn't like, you know, running away from home or not going home, and I was supposed to go on a show, like I would have never started a band. How would I? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. so yeah, it definitely like, it definitely helped change the trajectory of my life, in my opinion. Yeah, and for the better. I mean, obviously. Um, oh, absolutely. So with death before dishonor, that kind of. If my memory serves me correctly, it kind of formed around 2000-ish. Was there for you before then any other local bands? Like, were you trying out and learning your way with other bands before Death Before Dishonor? Yeah, absolutely. So, like, in 96, 97, I had a band called Incision. Um, and we were, like, at that time, like, there was a lot of shows going on in Brockton, which is, like, a suburb of Boston, but it's a city and it's 
kind of a crazy city. Uh, like a lot of violence and crime and stuff like that. But there's always been shows in Brockton throughout the years. Like Boston and Brockton are kind of like two separate scenes, but intertwined. But And I was really close to where I grew up. So I started a band called Incision with other guys. And, you know, we did, we did a demo and we put out a CD and we played shows, mostly local, but we, you know, we played some stuff in like, we travel to like Philly and stuff like that, which is like five hours. Like we do some weekend stuff, but we weren't like massive by any means. Um, and then from there, me and my drummer, the drummer of Incision, actually started to for Dishonor. Like I, we were like young, and like the band was cool, um, but it just like plateaued. You know what I mean? It was just I don't know. People grow up, you start not getting along with people, and then we always knew that like me and my drummer, we always knew we wanted because it was a hardcore band, but it was definitely more like Biohazard influence, um, and we weren't. I don't know, like we were young and learning stuff, but we always wanted a band that sounded a little different. And that's what started Death for Dishonor. And that was like, it started 2001. Hmm. And with, with with Incision, you know, you're up front doing, doing vocals. Did you think about doing an instrument or what made you want to be center stage? Was it the fact that you were center stage that you wanted to be a part of? Uh, no, I wanted to do anything. So like when I started going to shows like right before incision, so, you know, let's say like 95, 96, I've been going to shows for a little bit and I met, I was working at Domino's at the time and, uh, I met this guy and he was like, Oh, I'm in a hardcore band. I'm like, no way. And he, he played drums for this band called Brawl Fox and they're pretty big around here. And, uh, I was like, that's sick. Like I knew of his band and he invited me down to his rehearsal studio and I watched them practice and stuff like that. So I started seeing like how a real band works. I wanted to do anything. Uh, so him being a drummer, he started teaching me drums and I took drum lessons. But and I could like hold a beat, but I was by no means a drummer. I just wanted to do something. And then their singer at the time was like going to school in Florida. But they would still practice weekly and he would come back and forth. So, you know, they'd be like, yo, do this agnostic front song. You know what I mean? Or sing a song with them. And I was just, like, starting to able to like, figure out how to scream, I guess, or just, like, keep time. Like, I have no musical. I'll be honest. Like, I'm not, like, a, I'm not, like musically inclined. Um, and then from there, so next to them was this band Incision, or eventually Incision started practicing there before I joined the band. And when they needed a singer, I ended up joining the band. But, yeah, I had no thing. Like, I wasn't, like... I want to be a singer. I want, I just wanted to be in a band. And then once I like started singing, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was like, all right, I'm going to get good at this. You know what I mean? I, I, I had like different steps along the way. Like I didn't have this, like, I was never like, uh, I'm going to start a band. I'm going to sing. I'm going to tour the world. It was like, all right, I need to be in a band. All right. I got the band. And then I was like, all right, I got to learn how to sing. I don't know what I'm doing. I sound horrible. And then I was like, I need to play a local, you know, I need to play a show here in Brockton because they had a club. You know, I set like little goals, and then I was like, "All right, I need to play out of state." And then I was like, "I need to tour." You know, you know, eventually got to the point where it's like, I want kids to be singing my words throughout the world. But it was like many steps before I got to that point. You know what I mean? Mentally, I was just like, I was just winging it. You know? <laughs> yeah, but you, do, I mean, you're doing something that's a bit smart. You set, you set a goal that isn't unattainable and once you hit that one you reassess go for a next goal you know instead of just your first goal being i want to tour europe which 
you know, sometimes right. if you set too big of a goal, you're never going to achieve it. So you slowly build so that everything is momentum. Absolutely, absolutely. That's one thing that I, I definitely kind of did on purpose. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I guess like deep inside, I knew what I really wanted to do, but I was also trying to be pragmatic. Like, you know, and this is like, you know, when I started singing, let's say like in 96, 97, 97 I should say, and I saw like the local bands, like you didn't see all these bands like going to Europe. I know bands were, but like the bands around me, I didn't, that wasn't like a thing. You were, you barely saw a lot of bands actually like full time touring. You would see them doing like weekend gigs and stuff like that. So I was like, all right, you would hear about like Agnostic Front or Madball or, you know, whatever bands doing these things. But it's like, all right, let's be realistic here, man. Like if this band's this good locally and they're not touring, like I'm not going to set my goals bigger than them. And then once you accomplish it, you know, constantly raising the bar, I think, keeps me, like, driven. You know what I mean? Yeah, it does. And it makes you work for it. And that's the other thing. You know, you work hard for what you gain. Um, if you don't work at it, you just, you're not going to uh, achieve it and not going to want it. I mean, I think that's something. If people are handed things on a platter to them, they then maybe don't think, all right, I'm going to keep working for this. They just go, oh, well, I made that without doing any effort. Ah, fuck it. I agree. And I think, like, one thing about this band, you know, I, I know we're kind of going through steps, but I'll say throughout the whole career of this band, we had, like, we always had to work for stuff. We were never really handed stuff. Now, I will say we've lucked out and gotten, you know, a couple very important tours to help, you know, boost this band. But before that, you know, doing weekends, paying for our own flights, getting out to California, like, everything we kind of worked hard to. We didn't just start a band and everybody went, you know, that's a cool band. You know what I mean? Like, even playing Boston was, like, kind of hard to do at the time, like, when Death Before Dishonor started. Like, it wasn't like you could just play, you had to play, like, the Monday night, every type of band's playing. Yeah, it's hardcore, but it's, like, hardcore, maybe, like, punk and, like, weird metal stuff. But, yeah, I think we worked really hard. And, and even when we first started this band, we would constantly practice, like, two to three times a week um, just to do it. You know what I mean? So I, I do feel like that was something that I take with pride. You know what I mean? Working very hard. And I think that's something that one thing I can say with this band throughout our whole existence, we always worked our ass off. The other thing that always seemed like, and it was a bit of a weird thing because, you know, without jumping too far ahead, every time you guys were kind of still going on a new album. It always felt like from the outside that you were still kind of considered underdogs. Like, you know, you were, you know, everyone, everyone was hyped about you, but I think overarching, everyone was just like, oh, well, they're the underdogs, you know, they might make it, they might not kind of thing. Yeah, dude. I mean, I still think like we have a little bit of that too. I think, um, I think like we have this like great core group of fans um, that are very supportive. Um, you know, and, and this is, like I said, I know we jump ahead and we go back, but I mean, I, like in perspective, I think it's always been like, you know, like out of sight, out of mind. We didn't put out that record and become the biggest band. I mean, we've had times where we do really good. And I think longevity says a lot about how, you know, I guess it was kind of good that we're always the underdog because we're always fighting and working hard. And it's we never just like, came from the rip and was just like got to see everything and have everything easy. I'm not saying bands get that, but you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but yeah, even to this day, like sometimes I'm like, are we like, you know, we'll go to Europe, we'll headline, you know, I've headlined in even Australia one time. Um, you know, we'll headline here and do great. But there's sometimes I'm like, 
we get these like support spots, you know, the Agnostic Front Mabo, which is some of the greatest shows that are played. I'm like, are we like just the greatest support band ever? <laughs> um, because yeah, I do think I do think that you know, and I don't know what it is, man. I don't I don't know if it was we toured too much. You know, obviously your perception in Australia could be a little different, but my perception here is like, man, we're always touring, always touring. And I'm not saying great bands and big bands didn't tour, but it's definitely uh, it's definitely something that I think you're absolutely right about. It's a, it is really weird for uh, as a as a fan since I discovered Friends Family Forever because I think your second release I think really should have made people stop thinking you were underdogs. Count me in it. That that it, that was like the shit. Like when that released in all the hardcore that was going around, it was some of the not only written hardcore but produced. It was top notch. But then. It felt like people still weren't taking you as a force to be reckoned with. They were still calling you underdogs. I, I think so too. I mean, I think like Kamian was our best best selling record. I think, and partly was I think you know coming out of Friends Only Forever, uh, Bridge Nine like put a lot into that record as far as like making sure people knew about it. And we were touring a lot. Um, and honestly, like after like after 2009 or right around 2008, like the record industry itself, as corny as that sounds, like people just stopped buying records a lot. You know what I mean? But anyways, that was a great song record for us. But yeah, we were still like, you know, it was really weird because we would go out and play shows and we were killing it and we were doing well. I mean, we weren't playing like maybe at a level like uh, Terror was headlining or something like that. Um, But we were still doing really well. And I think that, you know, like you said, it's like that weird underdog. We did probably didn't become as big, quote unquote, as we should. But I feel like because we played like a lot of these like A and B B markets and like weird spots and stayed on the road and kind of did a bunch of we did any tour we could. I think it really helped like keep that core of a fan base that we've had for so many years that like you know never just stopped. You know what I mean? Like we have a lot of followers that are like, oh, I've been a show in like four years. I'm happy you guys are still playing. So <clears throat> there's positives and negatives with it, you know what I mean? But I'm still happy and fortunate for what we have done. So, Yeah, I think that's the thing. Despite all of those things like we were saying about the underdog, I think you were um, such a hard-working touring band, and I think that was probably pivotal to having a career go for as long as it did and still go for as long as it has. Because the early days, I think some people might forget that you know, you did Friends, Family, Forever. That was a Bridge Nine debut. But there were things before then. You had Wartime, True Till Death. Yeah. Um, you had a split with Nourish the Flame. Um, what were yeah. those early years like for you guys? Were you just playing in the Boston area or were you trying to get out? And was it all just about step by step, just try and build a bit, go another step, build a bit, go another step? Yeah, absolutely. This goes, yeah, I mean, you know, our, like I said, our whole career, like, we worked hard. So, like, even from the rip, like, when we, we started this band, um, you know, we were just like, yo, we want to do a different band than Incision. Um, and we kind of put together the band. We, we had this dude, Eric, that was in another band called League of Pain that was a local band at the same time as Incision. And then we got Frankie, who was just, like, a younger kid. Um, but, you know, so we started the band... I don't know, like, we were, like, we want to be a hardcore band, and we were, like, a lot heavier. I still think we're heavy, but we were, like, a different heavy, and we weren't trying to be something. I remember that time, like, you know, I was, we were super into, like, Marauder, and, you know, 
tapering satisfaction to come out and like um, you know these stuff that were these records that were like mind blowing that 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 there is like heavy bands like that you know what I'm saying um so we were very heavy but yeah we we did so you know at first it was like let's play local let's play local let's be you know let's it, it, we were slowly like building our own you know when I say fan base I feel like I'm talking like I'm a rock star you know like a <laughs> rock and roll band but no we were definitely just building ourselves locally we play a bunch locally and we. We were like, all right, well, everybody sees us in Boston. Everybody likes us anytime we play around here. Like, all right, we start playing Boston on Monday nights. Like, how do we become that band in Boston that everybody knows? Keep on playing. Keep, you know, then we get breaks here and there. Like, oh, you guys are going to open up for Madball and Death Threat. Like, all right, that's fucking amazing, you know? Um, and then with that, man, you know, around that time, like between wartime and uh, Trudel Death, we just started, like, and, and like I said, back then there was barely internet. Um, we just started booking weekends. You know, we had some connections, you know, mind you, going to shows, being in that other band, and, you know, that's a big deal. Like, we, every dude in the band were going to shows. So we we started meeting dudes from out of town. And it's, you know, one of those things like, oh, dude, come play Philly. You know what I mean? You played with us, you know, in Brockton, we'll come to Philly. You know, making connections. And we started doing weekends, you know, uh, anywhere we could. You know, if we met a band from Chicago, we'd, you know, link up with them and go to Chicago. And they'd be like, hey, go play Cleveland. You know, we would just do weekends as much as we could until, um, you know, in, a, in the earlier records too, it was all like learning curves. You know, it's like, we knew we didn't want to be like our old band, but we were still learning how to like play and be in a band with each other. So, um, I, th- I, I think know, it was I feel old. Like when you listen back to some of the old records, I feel like to me, like, like Trudel Death, this song is cool. A lot of people like it. I don't, knock it i like it for what it is but that record to me was like a run-on sentence they were like songs that were too long and like nothing was like structured we did we we're just like all right fast part breakdown okay another you know what i'm saying yeah i think i find it interesting that you say you were heavier because i think you guys are still to this day on and it's weird saying it i think you are on the heavier side of the hardcore game um the other thing I find funny is that you say songs are too long because you guys are pretty much known for being an impact band. You know, you don't waste time. You smash out the two to three minute song. There's no filler. Yep. And then you get into the next track. Um, so I think you always have been heavy. But uh, was it always accepted? Like when hardcore was booming at that time, you had a lot of different styles of hardcore. Was it something that the fans... And, you know, I know we don't like using that word, but were the fans getting into, was it fast, intense, and that's what they wanted? Uh, I think, I mean, we always played stuff that we wanted, you know, and I think, like, we just kind of, like, you know, I think, like you said, we are on the heavier side of bands, right? And I think every record's heavy. So, you know, the people that were with us, like, that were into us in the the true death days, I think they constantly followed us. I mean, I just think that we... You know, our perception on things just got a little different and different, and we started writing songs. You know, like I said, everything was based on what we wanted to do, and, and the fact that we always stayed rooted in being a heavier band, but like you said, there's more quicker, more impactful. I think that was, it wasn't like, a, all right, we can't write songs too long. It was like, you know, us as people were like, ah, this song doesn't really like appeal to me. Like, let's write songs like this. You know what I mean? Like, we just gradually grew and just wrote it and stuff. Sorry, I just grabbed some. But um, you know, I, I don't know. It's weird. I just, I think a lot of it was just maturing. You know, with every step of this band, we always mature a little bit. And I think that 
that comes out in the music. You know what I mean? Yeah. Without losing our grip of what we are. Like, we like being heavy. We like being aggressive. Um, we're mean. We're a mean, angry, hardcore band. You know Yeah. Uh, sonically uh, mean. I think, I think you are, and I, I think it's also something that you can tip your cap to because at no step during the band's career have you watered it down, if that's a way of saying it. You know, you haven't decided, all right, we're not going to be really aggressive now. We're going to step it back a bit and slow it down a bit. You've just maintained what you do because, as you said, it's music that you enjoy doing, which is really important. You've got to fucking love what you're doing, so... Stick to what you love. Absolutely, yeah, dude. As much as with all the touring and everything we've done, we're not getting rich doing this. We never have. We never will. So you just gotta love it. And if you don't love it, why the hell are we doing it? You know what I mean? Exactly. Now, I wanted to ask how the link up with Bridge Nine came back around 2005 because you've been with them for quite a while now, and sticking with one label is pretty unheard of. Um, how did you link up with Bridge Nine, and was there ever a moment of possibly going with a different label? That's a good question. I, well, so, you know, after the French, uh, after the Trudeau Death stuff, you know, we started writing like French and Trevor, you know. Uh, I don't even know when did Trudeau Death come out 2001, and we did Split. I don't know. We were just constantly, like, rolling. But anyways, we had some stuff in the can for French and Trevor. And <laughs> we're at the point where, you know, coming off of the Trudeau Death, we're on this label called Spook City. Uh, was a super DIY dude out of uh, Pennsylvania. Um, he released like bands like Marshall Flame, a bunch of other stuff. Um, cool guy, you know. But we're getting to the point where like, all right, dude, we've done the weekends. We flew to California. We did a week-long tour. You know, all DIY stuff, you know. Um, and then we were like, all right, playing a bunch. Of, and, and our following started getting bigger. Like, we could play Boston and people would come out, you know. Uh, people wanted to play Boston with us that have been through. They're like, oh. So... I started, we demoed a few songs for Friends of Forever. So, you know, I just started reaching out. Everything I've done, like, no one's ever come to me. So even getting shows, I always just, like, hit people up. So I started uh, emailing different labels, and a bunch of people kind of turned us down based on, like, maybe they weren't feeling true death or something like that. You know, any events starting to do well, but we're not sure. Um, I hit up Chris Renn. I didn't really know Chris Ryan. You know, I knew Bridge Nine. Obviously, they're a Boston label. Um, you know, they did a lot more. I mean, at that point, Kevin might have just gone on there. I don't know. Anyways, like, but I didn't know him. Um, but I reached out to him, and he, like, responded. And he was like, dude, he's like, you know, basically, like, you know, your band started to do some stuff. He said straight up, you know, he wasn't really feeling the true death record, but wanted to come out and see us live. And he came out to see us play like Worcester Mass or something like that and we killed it and from there he was like hey man I love your band uh, I really want to work with you and at that time he was looking for some bands too you know I think maybe some of his bands started breaking up and stuff like that um, and his biggest thing was like dude I'll work with you I just want a band that will go out and tour and all we wanted to do at that point was start touring and uh, yeah so we linked up Bridge Nine which got us to go into Outpost to record which is where we recorded Friends and Forever Count me in and better ways to die, which is a it's it's. I've been reading thank yous for the outpost for years, blood for blood recorded all these people. Like, dude, I gotta record the outpost. It's all I ever wanted. Well, stars line. You know what I mean? He made a call to the outpost because it wasn't easy to get in there. Um, and we went into friends doing forever, and from there, dude, it, everything just took off. So like, hey, we get on pre-sign. Uh, we go in to record the 
record, and this is where like we finally get a little bit of luck that I mentioned early. So the record's recorded. Chris like sends it out. You know, like um, you know, uh, whatever you call it. Like when they send it out before it's actually out to like you know scenes and stuff like that. I forget the word right now. Oh um, yeah, like promotion. And somebody yeah. in Europe had done. Yeah, yeah, like promo, exactly promo version. So this dude Ono Crow Mag, rest in peace. Uh, he got it and he did a. Uh, magazine called Art Shock in Europe, and he's just a well-known guy. He's done. He used to do a label with Roger from Agnostic Front. Anyways, he was close to an MAD, the tour booking agency, and just so happens that he hears the record, and like a day later, Roger calls him because Terror cancels off a tour in Europe. It's a six weeks tour with Agnostic Front, and they cancel on two weeks' notice, some type of emergency. Now they were going to be on a bus with Agnostic Front. That's kind of how the bigger tours go, and it, they have X amount of bumps. So on a Chromag tells Mark from AD, he's like, Do you gotta listen to this band that for dishonor? I get a fucking phone call or get an email saying, like, hey, can you go to Europe in ten days with Agnostic Front for six weeks? And I was like, Yes. I didn't even have my fucking passport, man. None of us did. <laughs> I had a court case going on. And I was just like, and but that's the thing though. Like we kept on working, working for everything, and we finally got this little fucking bit of opportunity. And it was luck. Don't get me wrong. The record sounded good. Like, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, toot my own horn, but friends and friends a good record, you know. So, obviously, we did that part. Um, and we showed, you know, I didn't believe it was going to happen. Chris ran in front of us the tickets for the flights, blah, blah, blah. We go there. And it was fucking one of the best tours we ever did. And from there, you know, even the first night, Roger and Vinny are on stage watching us because they're like, first of all, they're like, thank you very much for, you know, filling in. They needed a band. And who mm-hmm. else is going to? jump on tour for six weeks on that short notice and uh dude from there you know they loved us they thought we were a great band they put us on a tour in the u.s because love is right dropped off of it right after the european tour so all of a sudden we went from a band that was touring weekend weekends weekend so now we got a record coming out on bridge nine a great record and we're doing six weeks in europe and then six weeks in the state with the Gnostic front mind you we've never toured more than a week in our lives and we just fucking did it fuck that's crazy. So it's like, dude, it's crazy and it's cool. Like I said, it's a, it was a, it, it was a very lucky and great opportunity. But we still had to figure out how the fuck the to tour for the next fucking six weeks, one week off, then another six weeks, you know. And we just did it, and you know, I think that was one thing. Like we, we've always had a strong bond with Agnostic Front because a, they were very appreciative of us helping us out. And when we showed up there, they're like, oh man, you guys are just like us, like you hardcore dudes, and they loved our band, and they were like. You guys never toured before? You're doing the six weeks and you were able to do it and not fucking quit and go home and then you're picking up another six weeks. And, you know, and and being on tour with them, it really, so it taught me on my next level. Like, it taught me how to tour because those dudes are the godfathers and have done this for fucking ever. And I got to learn a lot by being on tour with Agnostic Front on what it takes to, like, you know, everybody can be like, I want to tour, I want to tour. And it's one thing to get the touring opportunity, but to actually tour, I mean, it's, it's not easy. You know what I mean? Even the tour, like, we were lucky. We were going to Europe or on a bus. It's still not fucking easy. You know what I mean? No, it's not. And it also, it can make and break a band. And also, it can make and break the relationships within the band. Because in a band, I think, people, I think people forget that being in a band is four to five different relationships for everyone. They're dealing with different egos, different personalities, different ways of doing things, different tics, whatever it takes. So being on the road and being overseas on the road can sometimes bring people together or split them apart. So that would have also been a big learning curve for you guys. 
Oh, definitely. I mean, like I said, we have been doing the weekends and stuff. And the cool thing was, like, you know, like I said, we used to practice like three times a week. So we were always around each other. We kind of knew each other pretty well. Um, but even with that, like, yeah, I mean, I just, yeah, I've gone through band members. You know what I mean? That's mm. what happens. You're going to But on top of it, like you said, four or five different personalities. Uh, you go to Europe. I mean, at that time, there was no cell phones in Europe. Like, you're using pay phones. And I didn't, you know, I mean, it was only 2005. But you had to go to, like, internet cafes. You weren't just calling home. But it's also a different time. You're like hanging out, but you're also in close quarters too. So it's like it also like you know when I started doing that and like you know watching Master Friendly and like talking to those dudes and like seeing what it was like really like to tour and tour at the next level. I was like, man, I'm gonna fucking do this, Brandon. You take your opportunities. You still gotta go out there and perform and do well, or else you're gonna be broke and going home. You gotta sell merch, right? And then uh, you know from there, like I said, so at that point, you know the Bridge Line Records out. The Bridge Line Record came out in the middle of that. Yeah, in the middle of that winter tour, uh, in the middle of the European tour with Agnostic Front, so that's another huge help. All of a sudden, this record comes out on Bridge Nine, and we're on tour with Agnostic Front, and we're coming back to the States to go on tour with Agnostic Front, you know? And then from there, we went out like Blacklist. It just, the trajectory just went there. We never stopped. You know what I mean? It was tour after tour. We had a week off. There was a tour coming up at some point. We were doing 250 days a year from like 06 to 09, maybe. So what, what you know... You've got this momentum, and as you said, you're touring all this time. You're pretty much on the road 24-7 in many ways. And then in 2009, you dropped Better Ways to Die, and it kind of felt like then it was like, where'd the band go? It went, you know, it went quiet on all fronts. Um, yeah, because we didn't just stop. I mean, we, so, you know, in 2009, we dropped Better Ways to Die, which I love that record. Um, great album. We toured it. Um, our like our primary he was originally our bass player but slash guitar player but he wrote 90% of the stuff Frankie he quit touring he didn't really quit the band he was about to get married he's gonna have a kid um, needed to get his life together you know couldn't live on the road this goes back to like when people aren't in bands and see touring bands they're like oh what happened to this member? What happened to this member? Well, here's the reality. If you're not, I mean, even when you're touring, like we're touring that much, we were doing okay, but I mean, we, I'm not buying a house. I don't have a family. You know what I mean? Mm. If, you're, if you're sitting on tour, you can barely pay your bills. And I mean, bills like limited rent, you know, if you have an apartment, cell phone, and that's about it, you know? So, um, so Frankie quit touring at that point. And, you know, we still toured the record pretty heavy, but then it's just like trying to find replacements with tours coming up. You know, we had, we had Colin come in at this time. Uh, Colin Riley, he was in a band called Shoot to Kill. So he came in on bass. So Frankie was technically the bass player at that point, or second guitar, I don't know. We had gone through a couple member changes. Anyways, he comes in and fills Frankie's shoes, perfectly capable. And then we got to fill in for something. I do, Basically, it was member changes. I, for me to try to figure out how it all unfolded, it was member changes. Um, And, you know, I also, too, so this is drawn out, but, you know, so we tore the record, and we're, We've never stopped. We just don't tour like we used to. Mm. Um, and then, you know, we do stuff. People are like, oh, you guys are still band? It's like, yeah, I mean, we play a show here and there. We would do a couple weeks in Europe here and there. Um, just random stuff. But a lot of it was that. And then, like, you know, in the last two years, like, my father got really sick uh, when he since passed away. I got married. A bunch of things that happened in my personal life. So, like, 2009 record comes out. We toured for a couple of years. And by touring it, I mean, like, actively touring it. But also going through band members and trying to solidify a lineup. And then, 
kind of just doing whatever and then real life kind of taking over a little bit, you know what I'm saying? But still wanting to do the band. Mm. Well, that is, I mean, that is part of, like you said, I think people forget that part of being in a band is quite often you have to put life on hold and then you get to an age, like happens to everyone except they're not in a band, when you grow older, suddenly life starts bleeding into a band and then Absolutely. things things don't change. You still want to be in a band, but sometimes you have to shuffle the pieces around to make everything work. And that takes time. Um, so it's obviously... It, it definitely does. It's obviously taken time for you guys because this year, you know, you recently announced, you know, it's been nearly 10 years. I think it's been 10 years. You're coming back. It'll be 10 years, July. <laughs> yes. So July 26th, you're going to drop unfinished business um is this music that you've been sitting on for a while or what what's been going on with this album how long have you been sitting on it so so it's a combination thing so you know like i said with with member changes so when colin riley came in the band he's been in the band i mean 2009 probably got in 2010 i don't know he's been in the band for quite a bit now eight years and he came in his bass and now he's a guitar player he was always technically a guitar player you know he uh He's in a band called Shoot to Kill. He's been in 100 Demons for the last few years. He's been in Death Force Honor for like eight years. He's an amazing guitar player. He comes in, and we start writing stuff. Not like we're going to write a record. You know, it's kind of like, all right, we have this tour coming up. All right, you've got to learn all the songs. And as good as he is, you still got to practice the songs. But here and there, in between these tours, we're like, all right, we're going to write a song. We write a song, and then, oh, this drummer doesn't want to do it anymore. We're like, all right. Then we finally get Ben in the band, who's been in the band for like seven years. So me, me calling a band have been a solid statement for Death Before Water Song for seven years, or Colin being in it for at least the last eight, he might tell you not in my memory so far. But but what would happen is, and Colin lives in Western Mass, which isn't super far, but he's like an hour and a half away from us. Um, ben was living in Providence. Like, everything's somewhat close, but going from dudes that were all living within 20 minutes of each other um, to now, we're just kind of scattered. But also, you know, we'd be like, all right, we got this tour, we'll do this tour, two-week tour, nothing crazy. Then we kind of come home, got a couple months off, play a show here and there would write a song. So like the first song on the record that's going to be coming out was written like seven years ago. We never finished it. And then in the last like two years is when we're like, all right, dude, we got to write a record. We want to do this band for real. But like then the personal things start really coming up. My dad being sick. I, you know, back in my mind, it was like, you know, I had to do a lot of stuff around my parents' house. Um, just felt like my mind wasn't there. Like my mind was in the band. I really wanted to do a record, but every time like I did something, I was like, Oh man, am I going to have to fly home? Cause he's going to die. You know, like just weird mm. things. And then we get back from the tour and I'd be like, Oh shit, I gotta go to work. I gotta pay bills, blah, blah, blah. So we've been constantly writing this record for a little bit. And like for the last two years, Colin's like, dude, we just got to book a time at the studio. And then, you know, we've always recorded the outpost. Well, the outpost is no longer a studio. Jim Siegel moved away, and I'm like, shit, man, we've recorded with this guy since Friends Ready Forever. Like, what are you going to do? And then, then Zeus was going to do the record, and he's done, like, Hey Breed. He's done mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff. He's done 100 Demons. And he's like, you know, he does a lot of big projects now. So he was like, man, I really like to do the Death Force on a record. Um, but it, it was kind of in his time restraints. He had, uh, he actually just did the um, music, like, scored the music for the new Rob Zombie movie, which he was working on right Ooh. before our record. Okay. which is like a huge deal for him. Like he's yeah. never scored a whole film. So he landed that, but he still wanted to do this record. Still wanted to do this record. So we had talked to him about a year and a half ago. I want to do the record. You know, I'll let you know when I have some free time. We kind of go back and forth. We're not pushing the issue because my dad's sick. 
Um, we have like we have songs. They're not finished songs, but we're not motivated by a recording date. And then I remember it was like a week before Christmas. We had four shows with uh, Madball on the East Coast up here, you know, Boston, New York, whatever. And it ended in Connecticut. And Zeus hits us up, and he's like, yo, last day of that Madball tour is in Connecticut. It's a town over for where I record my drums. You guys want to do this record? And we're like, shit. So it went from, this is probably never going to happen. And we said, we set a date. We said, if we don't get a confirmed date by Zeus at the beginning of the year, we're just going to go with somebody else. And I actually have just reached out to another engineer. Um, not to set a date, not that we're ready, but to like actually set a date for like April or May or something. And we're like, we just went, yeah, we could do it. And then I hung up the phone and went, shit, we got to put these songs together. <laughs> like, we had songs. Like I said, like, the first song was written seven years ago. It went through a couple different strings of lyrics. It just, it, you know, we're the type of guys, like, at this point, we're not practicing three times a week. We practice right before we go on tour. You know, oh, we're going to Europe for two weeks. Oh, we're doing a week with Madball. We're doing, a, you know, whatever. We got a Boston show. Um, so all of a sudden, we're like, all right. And with this said, you know, we got this year to be in 2019. We, we just kind of have a lot more stuff going on. Oh, you want to, you know, so we're doing these dates with Madball on the East Coast. And Madball's like, hey, do you want to come to Europe and do two weeks, ten days? Yeah, then this tour. This, like, I'm like, oh, shit, we're a real fucking band again. So, yeah, so just like, locked down the dates, and then we had a month to, like, kind of put everything together, and it just, like, put our asses in gear. And just we, like, you know, we had a lot of songs, a lot of structures, and, like, we just kind of, put it together and and, and it by no means was a rush because we had a lot of foundations and stuff but you know we also didn't know which way the record was going to go you know what I mean if you listen to Death Order Song I feel like Friends of the Forever is a very in your face heavy record Count Me In's a very I want to say like I don't know rounded hardcore record mm. Peace and Quiet has a little bit of thrash a little punk but still angry and you know coming off this and the way kids are nowadays you know we went in and we decided to do eight songs. Um, we had other songs that we didn't put on it. Like I kind of had like more of a punk boy song. Um, I decided to kind of go the Friends Family Forever uh, thing because the original Friends Family Forever was only seven songs. It got re-released to the full length. Um, so yeah, we just took the meanest songs and we put together a record. Oh, which I think I just, I don't know where we got lost. You asked me a double part question about Bridge Nine. Um, Oh we, yeah, like, we can. We, yeah, we can go into that now. Well, I didn't finish that because it trickles into some. So this made me think of it. Uh, in 2009, right before we recorded "Better Ways to Die," we were technically out of contract with Bridgeline. Uh, Century Media called us up, and um, I actually got a dinner with them when I was in California on tour to like try to see if it worked out. Uh, they basically offered us the same amount of money as Bridgeline. And it wasn't a money thing at that point. Honestly, like, I entertain the Century Media thing because they have really big distribution in, like, um, offices worldwide. But, dude, it was to the point where this. So, Chris Wren is always, Chris Wren runs Bridge Nine. He's always been very loyal to us. Uh, anytime I've ever needed anything, dude, I could call that guy at 2 o'clock in the morning and be like, the van just blew up. Can you lend me $2,000? I'll pay you when I get home. Door. <laughs> um, he would do that for us. And I would pay him back. We stayed on the road. I was, you know... Anything I ever told him I was going to do, I did. Anything he ever told us he was going to do. So when we got that century media opportunity, it was definitely appealing. But I was like, you know what, man? This is at the point. This is to going into 2009, doing better ways to die, regardless of what would have happened with Frankie and kind of us slowing down. I was like, man, you know what? 
it's kind of like that underdog thing you're saying. Well, dude, we got this far with Chris Reinup was always by our back. So what? I'm going to jump to Century Media, and at this point, you started seeing the record industry kind of switch up a little bit. I'm like, well, let's just do what we do. We're a hardcore band. This is a hardcore label. Now, I'm not saying I never would. It, you know what I mean? It just didn't mm. make sense. It wasn't like an appealing deal for me to not go with the with what we know best. I mean, if they gave us like an amazing deal, maybe we would have done it. I don't know. I just was like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Oh, and it's the so, way. It's the way to. It's way to way to stick with it because um, it shows a sense of which I think people forget in many ways. And you were saying it there, a sense of loyalty in a way is kind of forgotten. Um, nowadays in many aspects um, of the music industry and it shows you guys do stick with what you do of course it could have been a you know an offer that was ridiculously too good to refuse but shows a sense of honor yeah of course but- definitely I, and you know I, like I said I, I don't want to like shoot myself in the foot you know and I me and Chris have had long talks and Chris will be the first person he's He's not naive, you know. He's had some big releases, but he also knows how the record industry is now. And I'm sure if it was a, if it was an offer that I said, no, I'm gonna sit with Chris, but it's a really good offer. I bet Chris would be like, you better take that fucking offer. You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, nah, dude, that dude, that dude's always been the man. And it's like, you know, I am pretty loyal to what we do. You know, I mean, yeah, sure. Uh, maybe we could have gotten some more. You know, maybe we should have done that. I don't know, but I'll tell you this: we sat around for ten years. And not sat around. I mean, we definitely did stuff. We just didn't do it like we used to. But, you know, and I've been talking to Chris Rand about doing a new record for the last five years. Chris, we got a new record this year. Yeah, and he's, whenever you want to do it, Brian, whenever you want to do it, and you're talking to the band, we're trying to get this record done. And then we get a tour. Then we come home, and it's like, whoever's filling in on bass, oh, we got to get a new bass player. Like, you know what I mean? Because we had me, Colin, and Ben. We still kind of had a revolving door of bass players. But, you know, and in fairness, we're getting a little bit older. So, like, for a kid to come in the band and tour, you're not going to make a lot of money. Yeah, you make a couple bucks, but you got to sacrifice. And then, you know, then you've got to find people that you match well. So there's a lot of stuff within the last, like, I don't want to say 10 years, but five years. You know what I mean? Like, once you have a solid foundation. It's also, so, yeah, so here we are. We There's also got to be a sense of, you know, you mentioned there the industry's changed nowadays and, you know, it was changing, as you said, in around, you know, six seven two thousand six seven um so i mean coming into a releasing an album in 2019 it's got to be a bit different for you guys i mean are you are you approaching the release in a different way as in like it used to be all about cds and vinyl now not necessarily like there are the hardcore kids that do collect vinyl but what i mean is like absolutely are you looking to push this out in every avenue or are you just going to focus on digital? Are you going to do maybe a little bit of vinyl? Are you approaching things in a different way to, let's say, 2009 when you released that album? I think, uh, like, budget-wise, it's not as crazy as it is. But, you know, so me and Chris sat down when we, so, I, you know, basically after, quote-unquote, you know, lying to Chris. I say that jokingly because I'm like, yeah, we're going to do a record this year. So when Zeus called me back, is when Zeus hit us up on three weeks notice, I was like, dude, I'm not even going to call Chris Ren and tell him I'm recording. Uh, I was like, I'm going to front this recording because I know Bridge And I knew they'd put it up, but I'm not going to tell Chris Ren that I'm recording this record until I'm in the studio. Mind you, this got dropped like, all right, you're recording in January. I mean, I didn't even want the record to come out till the summer anyway. So it wasn't a matter of like, I got to see if Chris, you know, whatever. 
so when I told Chris, I'm like, dude, we're in the studio. He's like, no, you're not. And I'm sending him like pictures <laughs> of stuff. He's like, no shit. Um, so anyway, so we sat down and we met and, you know, you know, we were just going over stuff because, you know, I'm, last time I did a record was 2009. It was a different ballgame. You know what I mean? Back then you had to pay like crazy money for videos. Now anybody can do a video like that type of stuff. So, and mind you, within the last year too, as I was like, all right, dude, we got to do this record. You know, you look at our Facebook and we got like 50,000 followers and we're like, we just started Instagram with like 20 people. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, mm. and I'm talking to Ben, my drummer, he's like a little bit younger and we're like, all right, we got to get Instagram followers up. You know what I mean? And we have like, you know, so I talked to Chris, he's like, yo, it's not the same. Now, a band like us, we still do well in Europe. We still, I would say we go to Europe almost every year since 2009. We might have missed two years, but we still go there. Maybe not as elaborate as we used to, but we still go there. That's like a big foundation for us. Um, and we still play shows in the States. So he's like, yeah, we're going to do definitely vinyl. Um, and we're going to definitely do some CDs, not like we used to do. But there is definitely a market for CDs for Death Order Sonner. People in Europe still purchase CDs. And I think we have, you know, he, he even mentioned at this point, some of our fans are older and stuff will still purchase CDs. But obviously, yeah, it's a different outlook with the day and age of, uh, you know, Spotify and all those things. And, you know, like even our, so our single, the first song off the record is going to be released Friday. Yay. And back in the day, um, yeah, so Friday will be out on Spotify as a single and everything like that. Um, but back in the day, what we would do with Bridge Nine, you know, without the Spotify and stuff, is what they would do is they would release a seven inch, quote unquote, single. But mm -hmm. a cool seven inch with the song and maybe like a B side. Chris, like, we don't do that anymore. We use Spotify. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. That's how it works. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely different. And that was, but I'm also not naive. You know, I still, you know, with all this stuff going on, one thing about my band, not just me, is we still go to shows all the time. You know what I mean? Uh, do I go every Friday and Saturday like I used to? No. But. I'm at a show at least twice a month, you know, in Boston, I'm, you know, whether it's a friend's band's coming through or some younger band. So I'm always around. And, and it's been a long time since I've done a record, but I, I still, I keep my ear to what's going on. You know what I mean? We, we didn't just stop for 10 years. So luckily by doing shows and seeing what's going on, and, you know, still touring with other bands, not as much as we used to. I, I know what's going on. So it's like, yeah, we're definitely looking at this a little differently. Um, but definitely excited. Um, I think the record is awesome. I, I see, like, I thought these songs are good, and then we got in the studio, and as we're laying it down, I was like, wow, this is really good. <laughs> oh, so, I can't, and then I, I can't wait. And he was like, I'm itching for it, man. I'm like, excited, man. Oh, come on, give me this I music. Mean, I, I throw it on, and, and I'll say this, there's somebody that, you know, so when people are like, what does this sound like? You know, it's Death Fortis Honor. Um, it, Definitely is more towards the French family forever roots. I think it's more angrier. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a little more heavier, but heavier in the sense of French family forever, opposed to better ways to die. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Um, and yeah, that's why we did the eight songs, man. I was like, okay, well, we have like this song that's like more for like a big. In my view, the record's still like 20 minutes. It's not like a fast thing, but it, it does go pretty quick. Like it's like a glorified EP, but it's not an EP. You know, it's an LP, but. Um, I also think kids' attention spans nowadays aren't the same. I also think coming out of the gate after 10 years, I just want to put out a record that people like, oh, damn, like there's no questions about these songs. Like, you know, in every record, you could be like, I love this record, and there's records I love, and there's songs that I'm like, this song's great, but we'll never play it live. It's more like, not that it's like, oh, it's got a solo, or yeah. not, I'm just saying like, oh, it's like, there's just certain songs that just end up being records. 
Yeah, um, I, 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 and this song, this record doesn't have it. Well, I think I think it, you know you look at everything. I I saw you know as you're saying, there's only eight tracks. I saw that, and I saw the running time of it, um, the title of it, "Unfinished Business." I think everything about what this looks like it's going to be, just just fuck yes. I think it's just the simple way of saying that. You know, I think now in hardcore with what's going around in 2019. I think it's really exciting because I think some kids will possibly, the younger generation, might discover you guys as a first off. They might suddenly, hopefully, get into Death Before Dishonor who didn't really know about them because I think if anyone is like my age, I'm in my late 30s, you guys are a name that if you know hardcore when it was really pumping and going through the 90s, 2000s, you guys were a name. So the older generation are definitely going to support you. So I think anyone that's listening that's more of a younger generation, you want to hear an OG of this true hardcore style, especially the Boston style, this album is going to be possibly just unbelievable i can't wait i'm itching dude i'm just oh itching and i've got all the other cds and i can see them next to me got all the other cds i got them on vinyl just bring it bring the heat yeah man i'm psyched i hope i hope everybody perceives it as i do and you know this goes back to the original conversation one of the beginning conversations that we were having like at the end of the day like hey people are going to either like it or not it is what it is and i'm not going to sit here and try to sell and I'm not one to like pat myself on the shoulder I'm very humble about things but like I said I personally am like damn this is a good record and this is like it made me very excited and, and like you said I you know we got a bass player that's like a younger dude but he's got like a mindset like us and he's in a younger Boston hardcore band and the fact that we still go to shows and support like the younger bands you're right like I don't know if every young kid is going to jump on it but Hopefully it will. I think it's a weird time where there's a lot more heavier bands going on and stuff like that. Um, I think that, you know, like you said, I think that the older people know us. Like, I don't like to call ourselves a legendary band, but going on, you know, however many years at this point, you know, we've we've done a lot. You know, in Boston, we're known as like an older band. Uh, I think it'll be good, man. I, I hope younger people take on to it, but... And, you know, I'll go out there. And with that said, you know, our new outlook on things, especially once the record, like once we finish recording, I'm like, yep. And, and all the headaches, you know, my dad's now passed. Rest in peace. You know, done suffering. I'm married. But, like, my wife's the best. She, like, lets me do whatever, band-wise. Uh, don't plan on having kids. Um, so, yeah, like, I'm just looking forward to hitting the road and doing stuff. Am I going to do 250 days a year? No, but I'm going to be doing a lot more than we have been doing in the last four or five years i'll tell you that you know i'm excited for you dude really excited um it's gonna be it's gonna be good to see and it's always good when there's you know new music it's um quite a thing when one of the bands you love get out new music so i'm excited you got a couple of dudes here in australia that are definitely frothing over it man so i can't wait um i just appreciate it very much my friend i just want to kind of finish up with kind of one or two last questions one which i you know, you're saying you go to shows quite often, so you see the current climate of hardcore as a way of saying it, very loosely saying hardcore. Yep. Um, do you think yeah. Do you think hardcore nowadays still has the same impact and meaning as it used to? And what I mean in, in that way is, you know, there's a message and a purpose within the hardcore that there is a sense of community. Do you think that's still prevalent 
um, nowadays, or do you think that's something that we're losing? I think, you know, it, it's a weird thing to say. So, like, let me see if I can answer this. Now, this is the way I look at it. Now, I see, like, you know, I go to shows, I see younger bands. I, I know some of these younger bands. I don't hang out with them like I was hanging out with people my age when I first started going to shows, you know, because there is an age gap. And, and one of my hardcore shows, like, I don't think that age gap means something to me. Like, you know, I know a lot of younger kids. I know a lot of older dudes. I know a lot of people. Um, but, you know, when I go just to go kick it with a friend, you know, they generally, it's not like I'm in that group that's like super current. Anyways, I do think, so if somebody said to me, because I remember when I got into hardcore, and I remember reading books where like, I remember someone said, it might have even been like the maybe Boston hardcore book or American hardcore. Someone said like, hardcore died in like 1988. Ooh. Right? And that, that was his perception of it. Because all those older bands, the DYS, the SSDs, like that style, even like, Granted, Agnostic Front had always been a band. They never gave them credit. But even Agnostic Front style had kind of changed throughout the years. You know what I mean? Hmm. Um, and I, I thought about that, right? And I used to like get very angry about it. And I said, you know what, man? Like, all right. So hardcore to Hempstead. And one thing I've learned, so this is, you know, that this is how I'm going to answer your question. I think, I think hardcore means a different thing with each generation, right? And as long as, like, I go to shows and I see younger kids and, and I'll see bands that are blowing up right now and they might sound a little different than what hardcore was to me when I was growing up. I mean, it's still, like, rooted in the same thing, but they might have a different flair on it. But to them, like, they're playing their asses off. Kids are coming out. Now, is the longevity still going to be there like it used to be? I mean, generations change, like, the world changes. So I don't know, but it's hard for me to almost dictate what, it is. Like, to me, I can still go to a show and have a fucking great time. Like, I might look around the room and might be like, oh, this didn't look like it used to. But the music, you know, uh, that sense of community might differ a little, but I'm also older, so how am I to judge that? So I don't know, man. Like, I don't want to be the old jaded guy like, hardcore is dead, because it's absolutely not dead. Mm. Is it a different time? Yeah, but the world's a different place, too. You know what I'm saying? Like, 2019, the world isn't you know, 1997 world. You know what I mean? So hardcore is not going to be the same as 1997. Oh, yeah, I think that's perfectly put, But it's man. still there. You know, it's still there. It's five in this band. You know, it's like you said, everything's different, dude. You can go online and find out about any show. You can hear any band you want online. You don't have to go seek it out. You don't have to work as hard. That doesn't mean there's less value in it or it doesn't mean people don't appreciate it as much. I do think it's just a different generation. And I just think, it, you know what I mean? I think with the... With uh, attention span being shorter, so people might come in and out quicker. But at the same time, there's some younger kids that I met five years ago that are still going on shows and starting bands. So it's like, it's hard to say. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I, I think that's perfect. It's like, it's not my era, you know? Yeah, I think that's a perfect way of answering it, though. It's it There is still hardcore, but as you said, as the times change, I think everything evolves to change for the times. So hardcore's still there. It's just right. slightly different now. The sound, there's still the same sounds from the 2000s, but now there's more sounds that are a little different. Of course. So it's all there. Right. Um, perfectly answered, it's, dude. You know, yeah. With that said, with the sounds, I don't mean to cut you off, but like I just think about like in, in, in the late 90s, the sounds got weird because you, you would end up seeing like Madball with Downset. Was Downset yeah. a hardcore band? I don't know. But they played hardcore shows, but then all of a sudden they're on the radio where you'd hear like Doggy Dog or Life of Agony. Like Life of Agony played hardcore shows that really sound like a metal band, right? So 
so some of that's reminiscent where you see like, you know, turnstile kind of reminds me of like Orange Nine Millimeter from the late nineties. I don't know if you ever heard of them. There's like a New York yeah, band that played hardcore yeah. shows. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, so I was just kind of saying like perceptual. Like it's always, it's like it's there. And some people might say hardcore is bigger now than it's ever been because it can reach more people now. Will those kids stay with it like people did from years ago? Like people like you or people like I? I don't know. Time will tell. You know. Yeah, oh, or that, yeah, spot on, man. Like, yeah, perfectly said. Um, one last thing before we start to wrap things up is you mentioned a few times along there, and we've spoken about how the industry is a whole different ball game nowadays. Um, I think, personally, I think in many ways it has its ups and its downs. I think there's good and bads of it. Um, as a band in 2019, do you feel like the power's in your hands to kind of have a bigger impact or do you think that because of things like streaming and attention spans, do you feel like making an impact is possibly harder for a band nowadays? I think, uh, yeah, I have a weird outlook on this record. I'm very excited and it's like fresh, uh, to, you know, I, I do a lot myself to push a record. You know, I have a lot of different ideas and stuff like that. So with this record, it's like weird because I think it's like, it's cool because I'm psyched and it's new and I think I can accomplish more. I think that I see a lot more like diverse tours going on now. I I think one of the biggest things for us being a hardcore band and and you can look at like bands like Terror that have like really gained a lot of success um, who work their ass off. So by no means is this like any type of slack, but I saw them, they they were fortunate enough to kind of get on bigger tours and uh, mm. I've definitely done bigger tours but mixed tours like you know like a big metalcore tour or something you know when metalcore was big and Terror would go out there and basically kick these kids in the face of music and then Terror would gain new fans and for one thing that was always like, kind of hard for us to get on those tours for whatever reason this goes back to the underdog thing you know what I mean I think a lot of hardcore bands especially bands like Terror have taken us out and done a million things for us but you know these like kind of diverse tours diverse tours were really hard for us in the States not really Europe um, and that shows with our fan base. I think that's going to be an important thing just to like step outside a box. But if you look at like some tour, like at least in the States, like all of a sudden, like I just started tour for municipal waste, napalm death, sick of it all and take offense. I'm like, dude, that's sick. Mm. Like a little bit, of, you know, you got the old hardcore, you've got the death metal, you know, thrash, you know, it's like, it's cool. Like, I think there's a lot more of these mixed bills that I used to see in like the, late 90s going on so to me that means i think there might be more opportunities i think that i hope initially this record makes an impact because it has been so long and i think with you know i mean bridge nine's gonna push it it seems like people are psyched i hope it does make an impact i'm trying to be positive that it will and we intend to do more with it you know we've kind of i hope like the fact that we never broke up we never stopped playing shows, but we kind of took a back seat for a little bit. I hope we'll re-spark us. And I kind of been seeing it with like the Europeans where we did Mad Ball, uh, you know, the, the shows where we had in the States recently have been really well. Um, we always do well in Boston, but you know, even better than it has been. Um, and I don't mean to sound cocky because we do well in Boston, but we do Boston too much and no one gives a shit. But, um, I, I'm I'm very hopeful, but at the same time, I get a little bit nervous because I'm like, all right, man, I think this record is great. A bunch of people heard it. You know, we got a new booking agent. He's psyched on it. He's kind of a big dog. I'm like, the label's psyched on it. I'm like, you know, some of my close friends that have heard it that have done 
that do festivals and are in bands think it's amazing. But part of me is like, well, we could just miss the train altogether because, I don't know, out of sight, out of mind. I don't know. That attention span doesn't help us, you know, the, the quick attention span. I don't know. I hope, I hope it does, though. I'm trying to be positive, and I'm like, I'm excited about the challenge of, like, trying to get back in people's faces that already know us, but as well as, like, win over some of these younger kids. Maybe try to get the face of some younger kids that are into heavy music and, and get them into hardcore. Like, you know, I want to be, people said we're, you know, oh, well, you're, you're one of the first bands I've ever heard, but I, I like that. You know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. I want to, like, introduce more kids into, like, our idea of hardcore and, and what bands that were before us that are still doing it is and what new bands are in, in our minds. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I'm, I, think, I think everything sounds like, and touch wood, I think things are aligning, brother. I think... Um... I think it's exciting times to be a band, and I think it's an exciting year for you guys. So, um, yeah, onwards and upwards, and hopefully everything goes as you want it and as you hope. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Um, what we what, what we do to wrap things up is we're going to have a bit of fun. Um, I have a segment called Pick Your Poison, and what we do here is I give you two options, and you pick your favourite of the two options. All right. Okay, so some are easy, some are hard. Would you prefer a pizza or a burger? Burger. Would you prefer chicken or beef? Beef. Would you prefer to cook at home or go to a restaurant? I prefer I prefer food being cooked at home, but by my wife, not me personally. But yeah, <laughs> uh, cinema or couch? Couch all day. Uh, beach or snow? Damn, uh, I hate. I hate. I I don't know. The older I get, I hate snow, but I need a little bit of it because I'm from the northeast. Uh, beach, I get really bad sunburn. But I, I'm gonna take the beach on this one. Okay. Uh, cat or dog? Dog. Uh, Rambo or Rocky? Rocky, all day long. Uh, Terminator or Predator? I'm going to go with Predator, but the first one. Uh, Terra or Mad Bull? That's just wrong. I know. <laughs> it's the hardest one. That's just wrong. I mean, both two two of my top five favorite bands of all time. I'm gonna go with Madball. If Scott's listening, sorry. Um, just because they were the second band I got into in hardcore and set it off is probably my second favorite record of all time. But and they're still out there killing it, and they're great. But Terra's an amazing fucking hardcore band. Fuck. I'm going to go with Madball just because I heard them first and, and they're older, but Such much a, love to both of those bands. That's a hard one for me. I take Terra just over Madball because Madball were my, uh, Terra were my first one with Lowest of the Low. When that came out, that was the album that got me into hardcore. So that's a hard one. I don't know how and, anyone... And that's always going to be impo- impactful. I, I agree, man. It's like, you know, that's one thing you can say about hardcore because it's, it's not like a... And, and don't get me wrong, go watch Matt Ball Live now. They kill it. Go watch Terror. They blow mm-hmm. it out of the water. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, dude, I mean, to me, I, I heard Agnostic Front 
And they were like, mad ball, and I got set off, and I was like, this is the meanest record I've ever heard. But anyways. <laughs> now, speaking of agnostic, uh, agnostic or sick of it all? Agnostic front. Um, okay, a couple left. I know I said it quicker, but that's like that's always going to be my number one most, and I love sick of it all to death, but mad ball's always going to, I mean, I'm sorry, agnostic front will always be my number one, because that's just the band that got me into it. Slayer or Pantera? Uh, do you prefer mic grabs or stage dives? Uh, both are great. Uh, I'll go stage dive. Okay. Do you prefer to watch a show from the mosh pit or up the back next to the sound desk? Damn. You know, I always start in the back but end up in the front. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go up front because... Like I said, I always start in the back, and, and I always find myself going up front, and I'm like, I don't want to get kicked in the face, but I end up going <laughs> up there just because there's something about just being in front of the band and the, the, the energy of the crowd. Yeah, I'll go up front. Uh, two left. Would you prefer to tour or record? Tour all day long. Okay, and last one. Do you prefer to own an album on CD, vinyl, or streamed? Uh, me personally, CD. Um, I do CD and vinyl, but I would I would always take the CD over the vinyl. I've, I'm just never been a guy that's big on record players, but I have a bunch of vinyl, so I'll go CD. I always just throw the CD in. Um, Brian, fucking yes, dude. That is us done, man. Oh, thank you so much, brother. No, thank you, man. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, interview me. I appreciate your positive outlook on. Before Dishonor's career, I think you had a very good. I mean, you know the deal, man. Everything you said made sense. Uh, it's things that I think, and I, I'm psyched that you're psyched on the record. I hope you love the record. Like, I can't wait, man. I'm, um, as soon as the pre-order's going up, I'm a I'm a sucker for a CD, so I'll be getting myself another one to go with my other ones. Um, yeah, always be backing you boys. Always have been, and um, just really stoked to get you on the show. Yeah, thank thank you for taking time out, brother. Awesome. Really appreciate it. No, it's great for us, man. I appreciate it, man. Much respect, much love, and much appreciated, brother. Legend. Thank you. Same to you, my brother. I'll talk to you later. We live our lives this way. They live in fantasy. We'll shatter breath we last. One of their fallacies. They stole it all away. They showed you no respect. I said that must be pain. I said that will collect. Will you enter the throne? Towers of all They wait upon the weak But now they show their head Just this is what we see So now we make our stand You see them fade away You hear their voices drown Will we know we're put down? We come back to burn them down Retribution for all Always looking to 
So that was my chat with Brian from Death Before Dishonor. And at the end there, you heard their track, Cowards Will Fall, which is the first single from their upcoming album, Unfinished Business. That album comes out the 26th of July through Bridge Nine Records. You also heard the track, Breakthrough It All, from their album, Count Me In. And you also heard their track, Never Again, from their album Friends, Family, Forever. At this part of the show, I remind you guys or kind of ignite the thought in you guys that if you enjoyed that chat, if you enjoyed what you heard there with the music at the end, now is your time to start discovering what a great hardcore band, what a legendary hardcore band Death Before Dishonor are. You can find them online, you can find their stuff on eBay, you might even be able to find it down in your record store. Whatever you do, make sure you support these guys, make sure you support Brian and the boys, get behind these guys, pre-order the new album, buy stuff, do stuff, get out to a show if you're in America or Europe and you see them touring, support the hard-working bands to keep them going. Thank you again, Brian, for coming on the show. Meant a lot. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. And that's it. That is the Mosh Zone episode 73 done, dusted, all wrapped up. 
locked away for this fucking week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget... You can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.